Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today, we're going to talk with uscfootball.com, beat writer and columnist Dan Weber, about the football team, of course, just a couple of days before USC kicks off in the Coliseum against Western Michigan. We're going to go to practice uh, later this afternoon, talk about uh, Clay Helton had a press conference. We had an event last week where we got to talk to Clay Helton at Trader Joe's and we had, we didn't get Dan Weber on last week and we have a lot of questions kind of piled up for him. So we'll try to get to all of them answering questions coming out of fall camp. And of course, getting ready for the season opener and the 2017 campaign. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or if you want to call or text our numbers, 424-254-9141. Uh, we're on iTunes, itunes.com slash peristyle podcast. Wherever you get the show, iTunes or any of the other services, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Audio Boom, uh, TuneIn Radio, please leave us some positive feedback and a five-star rating. We really appreciate that. Helps let other Trojan fans know about our little show. And we're going into our 10th season, which is crazy, uh, covering the USC Trojans. And we welcome back in Dan Weber to talk about this team. What is up, Dan? How are you? Hey, it's finally here. Ready to go. And, uh, you know, I, I think... Clay uh, was was on the Pac-12 coaches conference call today, and somebody, one of the national writers, asked him about what what he thought about the no two a days, and Clay said, "Well, it does throw your body clocks off. You know, you felt like you should have been starting last week. So, you know, the two mock game weeks or, or one mock game week and one game week really does get you ready. Uh, and, and, and the weird thing is." The season is starting about as early as it could possibly start. You know, we're almost starting in August. And I think since I've been covering USC maybe one time, they had the op- opener in August, uh, as I recall. And I think, you know, the whole season is early because, uh, you know, with no buys, USC ends up playing UCLA November 18th, which just seems, you know, the last game of the regular season, which just seems really everything's early, and yet, uh, fall camp has been longer than ever, so it's this weird kind of, uh, you know, juxtaposition of this really long fall camp that says, "Hey, we ought to be playing by now," and yet we're earlier than than we usually are. So, kind of a a weird uh, weird uh, preseason. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly is. Um, the first couple Pac-12 games were not close contests, but there's a lot. Dan, this weekend, we're going to see a bunch of Pac-12 before USC even kicks off, Thursday and Friday games, and then UCLA on Sunday. So it's going to be a really interesting Pac-12 weekend, I think. Yeah, I can't wait. This is the best time of all when you get to see all the other, you know, teams uh, finally getting after it. I mean, it was difficult to watch, uh, honestly, uh, you know, the Stanford-Rice game. Rice would not win the uh, – I'm not even sure what the conference is out here with Modern Day and Bosco and whatever. I don't think Rice would win that conference. Uh, they were, you know, that bad. So it's it's really hard. You know, everybody's thinking about what about Stanford. And I know, you know, Western Michigan is solid as can be. One of the three teams that won 13 games – three teams won 13 games last year. Clemson, Alabama, and Western Michigan. So, uh, and they've, they've gone to three straight bowl games. So you're playing, you know, a group of upperclassmen, even though they lost the quarterback, they lost the All-American wide receiver, they lost their head coach. You're playing a, a you know, a, a solid group, 15 starters back, who have gone to three straight bowl games. And they really acquitted themselves, I think, well last year in the Cotton Bowl, losing, you know, 24 to 16 against, uh, Wisconsin. And yet, if you're a USC, you got to be looking at Stanford, how important that game is, and you watched them run all over Rice. But if I'm Stanford, I'm not sure I know what I've got after. I mean, Rice was, I mean, they won three games last year. They don't look nearly that good this year. I mean, they just were, were awful. So you watch that game, and you just have no idea. Uh, but then Stanford doesn't probably either. And uh, 
So I don't know if that game with the big trip, you know, to Australia and back, if that helps them or hurts them. They've got to buy this week, but you got to be thinking about Stanford if you're USC at this point. Yeah. Uh, can't look ahead, but Stanford's a, a big one with that, the win that they had over Rice. Um, hey, so we got a lot of questions to get to. So we're going to try to talk as much USC football as we can today, like we always do. But we have a new sponsor. I'm excited about, uh, SeatGeek. Uh, we actually worked with SeatGeek a little bit at my last, the network we were at last. Uh, so it's cool that they've uh, decided to come and, and be a sponsor of the show. But if you want to buy tickets for concerts or sporting events, it can be complicated, but there's a better, simpler way to buy. And that's what SeatGeek. So it's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. Uh, they have a seamless mobile experience. You can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. And it'll help you find the best seats at the best prices. And it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. And SeatGeek will help you get closer to the action at a great value. So they have a great app on your phone. So it's the easiest way to shop for tickets. Um, you can be anywhere. And just a few taps, you can instantly find seats. Um, you can buy tickets for... You know, concerts, sporting events, if you want to go to the USC game and see where, you know, the Coliseum, where the best seats are, SeatGeek can help you do that. So it's going to save you time and money. And you compare uh, multiple ticket sites to different prices. So it's kind of cool to do that. You'll get a, you know, a lot of bang for your buck. Um, they'll grade every ticket based on the value. So they'll identify tickets that are like, hey, this is a good value. This isn't stuff like that. And the purchases are guaranteed, like I said. So you can make it your go-to app if you want to try to find tickets. SeatGeek is great. So the best part is, for all of our Peristyle Podcast listeners, you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So just go to the SeatGeek app and enter promo code USC today. So USC, I'm sorry, not USC today, today. enter it today. The, the promo code is USC, so it's pretty simple. USC, and you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So check it out. If you want to, if you want to go to the game this weekend and you weren't planning on it, you don't get the Pac-12 network, go to SeatGeek, but on the only app, and you'll get $20 off. Whew. Yeah, heck of a deal. Yeah, pretty long. Sorry, long read there. Um, yeah, we're, we're excited about SeatGeek, so they're pretty cool. We worked with them over at the old network, like I said. Um, Dan, you know what? I, you know what I might try to do. So, Dan, uh, I don't know if you know this, but UCLA plays Texas A&M in the Rose Bowl on Sunday. So, my, right. my wife Jan and I were talking about going to that game. I don't know. Do you, you have any interest? Huh? Hadn't thought about that. I, I'm, I'm one of these. Uh, I'm I'm the hard, you know, I used to go to every football game I could possibly go to. I grew up in, you know, right outside of Cincinnati, so we could go to every SEC game when LSU came to Lexington or, or you know, when Louisville was good. We'd go to Indiana, Purdue, Notre Dame, Ohio State. I mean, so I was one of these people that, you know, if there was a college football game, I'm there. Uh, and yet, TV does such a great job with college football now it's just hard to say oh yeah i'd like to go to the rose bowl <laughs> i mean i'm not sure i think we we kind of at times you know you look at you got a parking pass and you're still not sure you want to go to the rose bowl i mean it's a it's a challenge i will have to think about that yeah uh, uh <laughs> well, it's hard too because we have to do a lot of work after the game. You know, we're right. writing stories, and then you know Clay Helton has his conference call, and so it's like you know it's tough to do that. Like an NFL game that's like early. I think that's a oh man, I think it's a four o'clock game or something. Oh, that's right. I, we still haven't determined for absolute certainty when Clay's uh, conference call is going to be on Sunday. Oh, okay. Usually it's you like know, six, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah, the, it's great to have all the accessibility to all these games uh, on this weekend, and it's smart. I mean, the TVs are getting smarter and smarter. They have to, you know, they're competing more and more. Uh, if only the Pac-12 paid attention to how smart the TV people are, <laughs> uh, and, and 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 likewise, because of course the Pac-12 has all their games pretty much clustered on Saturday on the Pac-12 network, and. You know, good luck. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, we got a ton of questions. So let's jump in here. There'll be a lot of different topics. I'll kind of bounce around and, uh, we'll start off with Jason. He's in Longhorn country. Um, so he says, I really appreciate all the hard work y'all. So he's, he's definitely from down there. Hope you're safe down there, Jason. I, that's a tragedy. Everything that's going on, but he said, you're putting into keeping us informed on the team's progress. The Texas game cannot come soon enough. Hopefully we dispatch 
that that team quickly and easily so that all of my Longhorn friends will be quiet for a while. Question for Dan. It sounds like Jane Harris is putting together a great camp. However, I'm wondering how his tackling is progressing. It seems like he struggled with tackling some of the bigger and more physical offensive players last year. Based on his interviews, he is clearly self-aware that he's been working on this. However, I'd be interested to get your take on his progress. That's Jason in Texas. You know, it's interesting. At fall camp, one of the stats they did keep was there were no fumbles. I'm not sure there were any obvious missed tackles. I mean, you know, everybody remembers from the Rose Bowl, the uh, Saquon Barkley run, where there were, I think, a legitimate seven missed tackles. They haven't had that many or anything close to that in all of all of fall camp. I, I don't get any sense that that's a kind of an issue when you're, uh, I mean, they really worked on in the summer, uh, all the, you know, the pursuit and the, the angle, the tackling angles, pursuit angles, uh, you know, full speed, but under control. They've done a, a it, it's a different looking team. Uh, you know, the, the goal was to be able to play really fast on defense, but also to be able to play fast under control. I think they've done a, a really good job. I don't, I think this is, this is a physical team, probably should have been a more physical team last year, but didn't always know exactly what they were doing or where they were supposed to be. And some of the time they were very physical. I mean, I, I can't say it enough. The first and fourth quarters, you know, against Penn State, you know, they shut them out and gave them 52 yards in two quarters. You know, in the second and third quarters, they gave him 49 points and 412 yards or whatever. I mean, this is a, a Jekyll and Hyde, you know, has been kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team. I mean, one other stat, uh, and I didn't realize this, seven opponents that USC played last year scored their lowest total of the year against USC. So in some ways, you know, they did get the job done, and then in some ways, you know, they broke down like on the Barkley play. Um but, uh, but I think, uh, tackling, I think, is, is I think Jenny is, is, is physical. You know, he's, he's bigger, stronger, and much more comfortable. And he's, uh, you know, having been a quarterback, he, he really, I think, understands where the play's going and, and where he needs to be. Uh, but, but, but I don't even think about that as an issue with the, with the Jenny, the way he's playing now. No, don't think of it at all. Let's go to JR. He says, here's a question for Dan and Ryan. What is the division of labor and responsibilities between offensive coordinator T. Martin and quarterback coach slash passing game coordinator Tyson Helton? Uh, how does that work in terms of game planning and play calling? And how would you evaluate their working relationship? Does it work well? Or are there aspects that concern you? Fight on from JR. Well, I was talking about this the other day, uh, to, uh, some people the other day about how well I think those two, you know, get along. And, and, and you know, this would be a place you'd think, well, I wonder how that's going to gonna work because uh, uh, T is responsible for first and second down plays, and then Tyson has much more responsibility, uh, you know, as the passing game coordinator on third down. You know, you got both, you know, former quarterbacks. You know, the head coach is a former quarterback. You know, you've got the head coach's brother, uh, you know, working with the offensive coordinator. I just think just because of their personalities, I think, you know, ever since, you know, Tyson came on board, they've worked really well together. I think they just, there's a comfort level, uh, and a confidence level. And, uh, you know, Tyson's the hands-on guy with the uh, quarterback in practice. T's the hands-on guy with the wide receivers. I think that really, uh, you know, works well when they get, you know, into the passing downs and passing game situation. And, and I, I, I think it works as well as you could possibly hope for it to work, work in a situation like that where you have, have shared responsibilities. You need the right, right people, the right personalities. And from everything I can tell, uh, they absolutely do. They like each other. They trust each other. You know, they, they like the idea of having the other one. Uh, you know, working the way they do. So, so uh, yeah, I have no, no worries, uh, no issues at all with that. Jeremiah says, I was wondering if you guys caught what, uh, coach Dylan McCullough was saying at the end of the media scrum, uh, before he said, uh, but he meant, he mentioned, uh, Rojo having to increase his quote unquote bench. 
We should ask how that impacts player performance. Um, or is that just for weight gain? I know that question is always poised around combine time and we never get a good answer. Uh, fight on from Jeremiah. Well, one way I would think it would show up and, and Coach McCullough does it also is, uh, you know, the way he has them, well, the two, the two drills he does with the football, one, the, the water, uh, you know, where he fills the footballs with water instead of air, you know, so they're, you know, I don't know if they're three pounds, whatever. Uh, they do most of their drills, you know, carrying heavier footballs. I do think, you know, that lightens it up and you just feel more control in the game. I think in every part of the game. Uh, and then if you're, if you're stronger, if your upper body, you know, is stronger, I, I just think A, you know, it allows you to, to, to have control of the football better. But B, I think it allows you to shed people. And, and with more confidence, if you're, you know, going through the line of scrimmage and got a linebacker coming in from the side, you just have, you know, uh, more ability to keep him off your body and, and keep him off the ball. The other thing I was, when, when he, when, uh, uh, D-Land does this drill with the, uh, spring loaded football that he has on a, it's like a polyester rope. It's called Pro Fumble, I guess is the name of the product. But that he pulls this uh, spring that transfers pressure to wherever you don't have the pressure point covered in the football, and in a five-yard run where they do a little little drill, he can, you know, and, and Deland controls the spring, and he can pull that thing a dozen times, and it really, really works those guys hard, and they have to have such control of the football. And I, I would just think the more you, you know, your bench press is, and the more, you know, the stronger you, you've built that upper body, um, the, you know, the better chance you have of controlling the football. We've seen that play out in the fall, uh, as we mentioned before, no fumbles, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, no fumbles by the running back. So, uh, I think it matters. I mean, you don't want to get too big. You don't want to get, you know, to become a weightlifter. You don't want to get real wristed, you know, where you, you don't have fine, you know, motor control, you know, with your hands and fingers and all of that. But, uh, but, you know, to put on 10 pounds the way, 10, 12 pounds the way Rojo has, I think is, uh, as a result of the bench. And, you know, they really worked with him on his, uh, on his eating program as well. Uh, I think that's a, a really good thing. All right. Uh, the other, I guess the other aspect, I mean, he talked about uh, yards after contact and stuff, and he really did want these guys to be stronger. So I don't know if the bench press court, you know, correlates exactly to that, but I think it's just a, a general be big, bigger, be stronger. So when you get hit, you're going ahead for three more yards as opposed to going straight down. And he works a lot on that. I think he calls it running through trash. And, you know, it's that yardage that you make at the second level and on where you shed you shed somebody and, you know, having that, you know, the bigger upper body certainly gives you the ability to, you know, chicken wing some guy and, and just, you know, get rid of him, not let him get into your body. And uh, we're seeing more of that. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see. It hasn't played out as much against this defense, the way this defense is playing. I will be really interested to see how it plays out against, uh, you know, and they're going to start off. I mean, Western Michigan uh, returns eight defensive starters from a team that really is solid. And I, I, I was reading what some of their coaches, because they, they're getting in coaches from, you know, Purdue and Indiana and Syracuse and this new coaching staff. And they're saying things like, you know, this looks like a, a Big Ten team. This looks like, and, and would you, you know, we see little snippets of them, uh, like videos from the Kalamazoo newspaper, and they do look like a Big Ten team. They beat two Big Ten teams last year. They beat Northwestern. They beat Illinois. So I think this is a good defense uh, for USC to start against. And then, obviously, you got Stanford. So we'll see. But, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, the emphasis in the summer and the emphasis in the coaching is, you know, USC needs to play more physical. You know, they got to be they got to be physical. And the running backs are a place where they really want to start with it. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's part of it. Yeah, I think you're not going to beat, um, someone tweeted me about like 
oh, is there any wrinkles you're going to save for Stanford? I'm like, you're not going to beat Stanford with wrinkles. You got to be physical and you got to, you know, you got to out physical them. And I think, you know, they can, they can overpower Western Michigan. You can, you know, uh, do that to Stanford. So I think they're going to have to be a physical team. We'll see if they are. Um, Bear Secuter says, Dan Weber, on the eve of another hyped preseason, I'm, uh, chastened by knowing history we've seen this before this is not the first time we've had great depth and enter the season coming off a great win in the post carroll era what explains coaching staff's uh debacle versus alabama last year and what lessons did it teach clay helton it was one of the three most embarrassing usc losses in the past decade while confident we won't replicate the debacles versus boston college or uh Stanford with Trevita Pritchard. Nobody on the staff will be hung over. The head coach won't have the hubris to be calling plays. The defensive coordinator is experienced, flexible, and independent. And we won't underestimate the intelligence of Stanford's players and coaches, all in parentheses. But beyond the usual coach speak slash, uh, we weren't ready. I've never heard anyone give a specific postmortem. Well, why weren't we ready? How could you underestimate Alabama that had been dominant for years or overestimate a USC team that hadn't proven much of anything outside of the conference? Or was it just simply Saban Saban having the confidence and Clay Helton not to switch to a freshman quarterback after one quarter? Uh, Bear Scooter. Still not, still not letting last year's opener go. Uh, Bear (laughs) Scooter. No, you got it all in there, Bear. Uh, Very good. Uh, I think, that was the most disappointing thing of all last year is the inability to self-analyze and to realize that, you know, you were stuck with three big, relatively immobile offensive linemen. Their chances of executing that game plan against that Alabama defense with that USC quarterback were, you know, as they say, is there a number less than zero? I mean, they had no chance to run that, that game plan. You, you know, your hope was that this year's defense, which is a lot of the same guys, would show up last year and that Alabama with, uh, you know, with their, you know, basically USC and Alabama kind of started the same quarterbacks and got kind of the same results. Uh, as you say, to say that, you know, you would, you couldn't even begin to expect Clay Helton to be in the same place as Nick Saban. You know, of course Nick Saban has the confidence to change quarterbacks. He probably looked at Lane and said, get that guy out of there, Lane. Come on. What the hell? You know, what are you doing? And Clay wasn't in that same place. And it took him, I will say this, it took him three weeks to get to that place. But when he got to that place, he really, if you, you know, when you look at the rest of the season, uh, nobody got from the end of September to the end, you know, till, you know, the first week of January any better than USC did. So if you want to say, uh, you're comparing this first game to last year's first game, I, I think you gotta, you know, look at what happened in between. And they did figure it out. They did figure out, you know, how they could make the run game go with those three relatively immobile guys who aren't there now. And they weren't going to change those guys. Those guys were going to do what those guys were going to do. And when you're a new coaching staff, you just have to kind of deal with it. Uh, I think for the Alabama game, they didn't know how to deal with it. And then they, you know, and obviously uh, the defense hung in there for a while. Uh, it looked like they had a chance. And then when things broke down, their lack of poise was monumental. I mean, and, and probably we should have had a sense of that when we saw them come out doing their, you know, imitation of, uh, you know, some chorus scene from Cats or whatever the hell that, that thing was that they were doing when they came out, which was, you know, to be honest, that was more embarrassing to me than the 52-6 final result, uh, that they really thought that they were in a place that they could do that, you know, that, that just because they were wearing USC football uniforms. Uh, so, so I think they're in a different place completely. Uh, they've worked in a way that that team hadn't had enough time to work on. They've got leadership that that, that team didn't really have. Uh, their detach. I will disagree with you one thing. I'm not sure in the post-Pete Carroll era, 
that they really had enough depth once they got past like 2011. Not sure that that there was just completely full full depth uh, that you you would like. And I think they're back to that kind of depth, which guarantees competition and practice. And that uh, gets more done in practice. So I think there's you know a lot of reasons to say this isn't that team. This isn't the 2012 team. And and I I, w- I would agree you know with most of those. And then you know that this team, if you started this team. Against that Alabama team, they still might be in a little bit of trouble in the first game of the year. If you started this team against that Alabama team in a bowl game in January, you know, I mean, I think we saw what, what, you know, Clemson did with Deshaun, you know, Deshaun Watson. And you've got that kind of a dynamic quarterback and playmakers on the field. You've got a chance. Uh, so this team, this team's different. And you, I think you'll you'll see it's different. Uh, this this defense, for example, if this defense were going against last year's Alabama offense, that game would have been different. Uh, so there are a lot of ways that this this game is is different. Uh, but again, you're as good as you keep playing. So you know, however you know good they are this week, they got to be a lot better next week against Stanford. And they just got to keep. And I think that the secret for this team is. Can it improve as much from the beginning of the year to the end of the year as last year's team did? You know, you can say, well, last year's team had a long way to go. But if they can do that, they can be a pretty good team. This can be a team that, that you know, could end up, you know, in the college football playoffs and make a run at a national championship if they keep getting better. Yeah. I think the coaching staff is working really well together. I, I like the way they, you know, they, they teach. I like the way they motivate. Uh, as the you know, Penn State game proves, they didn't crack under pressure. Uh, a lot of good things you know going for them, but you're as good as you know, you're as good as your last game, and we haven't seen that yet. So, so we'll see. But, but very good question. You got it all in there, there, and uh, thanks for the question. Let's go to Steve and down at Poway. He said. Last season could be described as a tale of two seasons. There were those early humiliating losses we just talked about. Um, getting pummeled by Alabama, which uh, appeared that USC did not even belong on the same field. And there was the turnaround capped by the stunning come from behind Rose Bowl victory. While Sam Donald certainly deserves a lot of the credit for the turnaround, there also seemed to be growing team chemistry or chippiness, which came from wanting to prove the rest of the college football world that they were no longer that team, which was humiliated on a national stage in Dallas. Do you have any indication from players or coaches that last season's early losses may have served as a motivator during the offseason and may still serve as a motivator for this season's team? Or do you think that was completely erased by the Rose Bowl win? Thanks, as always, Stephen Poway. Yeah, I think the, the Alabama game... It's pretty much uh, ancient history and not a, like a direct motivator. I think the Rose Bowl game, more than anything, uh, the good parts of the Rose Bowl game and the not so good parts, is the is the is the motivator. You know, of seeing this is what we could be, this is what we could do, uh, and this is what we do. We gotta we gotta figure out how to do what we can do, and uh, you know, the uh, that would be more. I think. I think the fact that much of college football has put that Alabama game in a category of, you know, a fluke. Uh, I was talking to, you know, our scout guy from Alabama who comes out here to, you know, Southern California every year. He was here for a preseason practice and he, he said, well, maybe they'll, they'll have a rematch and it'll be a good one this time, you know. And so I don't think, you don't think there are people who, who are, are focused on that Alabama game. Uh, even as a motivator. I think, you know, it was a motivator last September. Uh, but I don't know that, you know, it's a motivator now. I just think this is a team that wants to be good. They're not motivated by, you know, dealing with a, an embarrassment, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a game that showed, you know, that the coaching staff and the players were completely not, uh, ready to live up to the uniforms they were wearing. And, no one had to make that point to him. It was made as clear as anything could possibly be. And I think, you know, I think they learned an awful lot, you know, from it. But that just kind of sustains in the background. I think, you know, now it's a matter of what can we do to get better? How hard can we work? 
how smart can we, you know, be about all of this? And so I think that's more, you know, where this is at this point. They think they're good enough. Uh, they looked at the Washington game. They looked at how they finished. Uh, they look at the, you know, the way they had to play to come back in the Rose Bowl. And they say, you know, we're good enough to get this done, but we have to get it done. We can't do the things that, that got us in the jackpot. Before I'm finished, though, I have to say thanks to Steve, uh, who sent us some really interesting stuff on, on the, uh, the combination of, you know, when, when, when Traveler, uh, rides around the stadium that, uh, uh, you know, and they play Conquest, which is from, uh, uh, I guess Academy Award winning, uh, uh, songwriter, uh, and, and musical score, you know, great Alfred Newman, who gave that to USC from a 1947 film. Uh, and, and with USC doesn't have to pay any rights. And, and, uh, and Steve gave us the whole history of the Newman family where, you know, between brothers and daughters and sisters and whatever, they, you know, scored literally, I don't know, 500, um, uh, big time Hollywood movies. And that's just something you, you almost accept as part of the USC, you know, heritage and culture that people, uh, you know, from the, you know, the movie industry, the entertainment industry, the, you know, the arts, uh, will just be in, in, involved in some way. But, uh, that was really, that really interesting stuff that, that Steve sent on about, uh, about, uh, conquest and, and, and all of the connections to the, you know, the greats in, uh, in, in Hollywood, uh, music history. That was cool. Maybe we'll post that up on the uscfootball.com message boards or something. We'll do it on the Peristyle. We need to do that, right, because there's a lot of interesting links there and a lot of names, family. And you don't always pay attention. You know, I always knew the name, you know, Alfred Newman and uh, and I think Lionel. And then I think the, the cousin is, is, is Randy Newman. You know, I think it's yeah, Randy Newman and, and just lots of names there that uh, really interesting stuff. So we should put we should post that on the board. Yep. Cool. Um, okay. So we had a few questions about the defensive line. Uh, Dad, so I'm going to read you these three and you kind of talk about it all at once. Um, Tarek wants to know how did Marlon Tui Pelotu go from taking nearly all the first team reps to not being a starter? Uh, Mike and Irvine says Josh Fatu is listed on the depth chart as the starter at nose tackle above Kenny Bigelow, Marlon and Brandon Peely. Is he clearly better than the other three? And he does, does he bring something the others do not? Uh, and what percentage of the defensive snaps do you see him getting? And then Paul and Santa Clarita, kind of the opposite. Uh, the emergence of Brandon Peely created a problem, albeit a good one. He was labeled as a project that was going to redshirt. Now he turned out to be much better than advertised. And we'll probably see playing time. Uh, do you see Clancy spreading nose tackle snaps across the three guys? And do you think Helton will now ask Jay Chafele to, to redshirt? Love to hear your thoughts. So kind of all in the same vein there, but oh. maybe give your thoughts on the defensive line. Lots of questions. Uh, yeah, I think um, Joshua, too, I mean, I, I still remember in the summer, first chance to talk to him, I said, what do you weigh now? And he said, you know, 319. Wow, okay. So this is a kid that when I think we saw his first video at Long Beach City College, he was listed at like 275 or something. He said he was probably 290, but I think they mistakenly listed him as a sophomore at like 275, so people weren't all that interested in him. And then it turns out he was bigger than that, and he gets to USC, and he's re- he's like a, a, a you know, a, and I don't think that this word doesn't actually apply. He's like a mini Stevie Tuikalavatu, if you can use the word mini in, in regard to Stevie. But he's got that same look and that same physique, and he really has played, you know, he's been a stout guy. And that, it doesn't mean that, you know, Marlon has dropped off any, as he hasn't. And they love Marlon. I mean, they absolutely, you know, can't say enough good things about Marlon. And then here comes, uh, you know, Brandon Peely, you know, at 6'4", 5", 240. You know, this great athlete. I mean, you watch him out there throwing and catching a football. Or, I still haven't seen him dunk a basketball, but everybody, you know, he said it. he can dunk, you know, standing on one leg. And, and, and just a, an amazing athlete that you just don't, I mean, I don't know that anybody's ever walked in the door at USC quite like Brandon Peely. I mean, you know, uh, uh, 
USC's had some awfully good in the last 15 years, awfully good freshman defensive linemen, Sean Cody and you know Leonard Williams, obviously, but nobody that was six four, three forty, who could, could who could do what this kid could do. So, yeah, I think they're going to play you know more of those guys, more of a rotation, play fast, play fast as as they can play. And they may get a chance, you know, to play more down guys the first couple of games. Obviously, Western Michigan's got a quarterback that's never played before and three good running backs that they're going to run the ball. And then Stanford, obviously, is going to run the ball. So they may get a chance to – we may we may see more, uh, you know, down D linemen in the rotation and in the games um, than maybe we would expect the rest of the way where you're going to see a lot more – you know, spread with just two down linemen, which is probably a good thing. Um, as far as Tufele, I don't think, I mean, he's really talented. He's big and he's, he's, for a kid as big as he is, he's got some, you know, he's got some really nice moves and he's, um, he's not a, you know, he's not a nose tackle. He's a, you know, more of a three technique and, and possibly could be a really big defensive end if you played a, you know, strictly, you know, down defensive end, but um, I don't. I wouldn't want to predict what happens with him in terms of red shirt at this point. Uh, I just don't know. I think you know Christian Rector looks like he's going to be a you know a factor, um, and there are some other guys in there that you know that that they haven't been afraid to you know play and and, and practice. So, so I don't know what what the you know the future holds, the immediate future holds for Jay, but. Uh, you know, it's hard to redshirt guys who may be good enough in three years uh, to go to the NFL. I don't know how much you gain by, uh, you know, taking a year away if they're not going to be here for the fourth year anyway. So, so, so I, I don't think you want to pull the trigger too soon on those on those redshirt calls. And then what about Marlon Tuipelotu getting all the first team reps and now not starting? I think that's strictly Josh. Strictly Josh uh, playing as well as he's played. I mean, he's got one shot. This is his senior year, and he knows, you know, this is my my chance. He's bigger. He's stronger. I mean, his physical development has been really impressive, and you don't get that way without, you know, showing it in the weight room and really, you know, convincing the coaches that you really, you know, deserve to be on the on the field. And he he got 200 snaps last year, so I think it was kind of amazing that uh, Marlon came in here and did as well as he did in the spring and he hasn't dropped off a bit I just think that's a, a recognition that that Josh has really come on and that's the kind of competition I think that really matters and uh, you know you don't play somebody and this is, this is not a negative or anything but you just say oh wow we got a freshman and, and this is really you know shows the world our freshmen how good they are or whatever I think you just play the guy who you think has played the very best. And I think at this point might be slightly, uh, you know, in Josh's favor, just, you know, ever so slightly, but not any kind of a negative about Marlon. I mean, they cannot say enough good things about Marlon, about his, you know, attitude, his uh, smarts, his physicality, everything you could possibly, uh, you know, want in a, uh, you know, in a, in a defensive lineman. It's just, what it says is that Josh has, has really uh, has, has really come through for him, and and they're really thrilled with that. Josh is this is it for Josh. This is his one shot, and uh, this could get Josh into the you know into the league, and and that would be great. That'd be great for him. You kind of touched on this a little bit, but Nick and uh, Cyprus wants to know um, if Clancy will, Clancy Pendergast, the defensive coordinator, will use. A 3-4 defense instead of a two-man line, especially playing Utah, Stanford, Texas, and maybe Western Michigan. I prefer to be big and strong up front to win in the trenches where championships are won. What do you think from Nick? Yeah, I don't know what about Texas. That's what I'm, I'm not absolutely certain. And from what we're hearing, Utah kind of is going away from where they've been. That They're going uh, more you know, wide open and spread and with a, a new coordinator and that kind of thing. I mean, by, obviously we'll know, uh, when that happens, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, it's even hard to know with Western Michigan. I mean, you're guessing personnel wise. They got the three running backs. 
two who had, you know, were the bulk of their running attack last year, and they got a quarterback that never played before. So, uh, and yet they've got coaches from places like Indiana, Purdue, Syracuse, who were more up-tempo guys. So, you know, I, I asked Clay this morning on the Pac-12 conference call, uh, media conference call, how do you know? And he said, that's what you do all summer, and you have to have, you know, maybe three different game plans going into a game like that because you really don't know. Uh, whether, you know, is Western Michigan going to try to run the ball and slow the game down and keep it close, or are they going to go with the, you know, their coach's background and, and play tempo? And, or do they just do that, play, you know, play slow, slow it down against USC, and then when they get back to the Mid-American Conference, do they go tempo? And I don't think you know. I think that's one of the tough things about, about an opener against a brand new coaching staff of guys who weren't even all together last year, uh, you're really, you're flying blind. So, uh, my guess would be they're gonna, you know, they're gonna run the ball. USC will be able to play their, you know, three down base defense, uh, against Western Michigan would be my guess. All right. Uh, let's, oh, you know, before we jump into anything else, anything else interesting from uh, Clay Helton's conference call this morning? He said he's going to play six wide receivers. You know, I asked him, you know, what position is, and he said, you know, most up in the air, wide receiver, going to play six uh, first three games, and then he said, and see who produces, which is a great way to go, except for the fact that <laughs> Stanford's in those first three games, you know. So you you pretty much got to produce for Stanford, but uh, uh, but that's you know, that was what he what he said uh, about, you know, the position that, that they're finding most unsettled, let's say, uh, at this point. Um, I guess somebody was asking every one of the Pac-12 coaches how important is it for the Pac-12 to get a national championship. And Clay, I think, was a very good answer, said, hey, we're at USC. This is our 125th year of football. We've had 11 national championships. It's always important at USC. And he didn't even <laughs> he didn't even answer the Pac-12 part of it. He just said, you know, for USC, yeah, national championships are important. He said, you know, we're looking at this year as an opportunity, not an obligation. But but I like the fact that Clay was not worried about what a national championship would do for the Pac-12. This was a, a USC thing, and that's a perfect way to answer it. Yeah, because uh, I'm not sure we should go back and do this. I don't think the rest of the Pac-12 put together has as many national championships as USC has. I think Washington has one. Maybe Cal in the really old days had one. I don't think Stanford, maybe if you go back to Ernie Nevers or something in 1924. Uh, but uh, try to come up with another team that's won a national championship. UCLA in the 50s, right? Like UCLA 55, yes, UCLA 55. But compared to USC's 11, I don't think, you know, so it was a good answer by by Clay, very good answer. Nope, we're we're USC, you know, a national championship is what we have to think about. That's that's who we are. David in uh, Alton Fontana said, there's been a lot of back and forth about which side of the ball has been winning the day and, uh, and or the week during fall camp. The real question is, I've thought, uh, is our offense facing the best defense it's going to see all year? And can the same be said about our defense having to face our offense? I seem to recall a staple of Pete Carroll era uh, was that practice was the hardest part of the week. Are we getting close to that again? And can you guys think of any teams on our schedule that project to be better on either side of the ball? than us this year. Thanks, David and Fontana. Well, David, that's exactly what you hope, and that's exactly what they did with Pete. I'm not even convinced every one of those years they were necessarily the best offense USC was going to face or the best defense, but they believed it. They absolutely believed it, and when they got in tough games and push came to shove, that really carried them. I mean, they just felt like, hey, we've already, you know, played against bigger better people than this and when when put you know at the end of the game we're going to be fine we're going to you know win that big play win that final you know that fourth quarter so i mean i think that's that's what you're hoping if you're if you're doing it right 
uh, that's the that's the goal for this year. And I don't think it's an impossibility that this could be the best offense USC defense will face and that this could be the best defense USC's offense will face. Uh, that, that we can even, you know, entertain that possibility tells you, you know, this is a ch- team with a real opportunity to, you know, to get something done here. But, uh, but I do think, I think, I think that's a possibility. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned the wide receivers about Clay Helton a couple minutes ago. Tark wants to know, with Michael Pittman out, is this Joseph Lewis's chance to get some quality minutes? Yeah, I think Joseph Lewis and, and, and Josh and Baby are the two guys that, that benefit from Michael not being there. I think they're the two, uh, you know, six foot two, uh, possession, 210, 215, uh, pound guys who have the opportunity, you know, to be the guy that you, you know, you throw the ball in, you know, in a tight window, you throw the ball in, you know, between coverage and, you know, the guy you trust to be able to, you know, make sure that, you know, he doesn't, you know, get the ball taken away, um, you know, from double coverage or whatever. Yeah. There's, without a doubt, uh, uh, Joseph and, uh, and Josh, this is their chance. The, um, and kind of on the, the previous question about the Pete Carroll era, Brian Edwards said, I can remember during the Pete Carroll years that practices were open to the public and often the sidelines would be packed with fans during practice. This created a unique atmosphere around the team. Now that the practices are closed and the public can no longer attend, do you think this has been a detriment to the program or a benefit? Thanks for running a great website, uh, from Brian. Well, I mean, Pete always liked the idea of, having fans there that that put some pressure on on the guys to perform and that you know you weren't going to play games in front of nobody uh, so you know there was that plus uh i think clay is, is i mean clay doesn't have any choice uh, at this point i mean it's not not his call but um although on thursdays i guess uh no media i don't know whose call that was but um i, I think They've gone the way, and I like the way, you know, they've taken away the music. This is, you know, this is a, you know, a lab class. This is, uh, you know, this is about getting things accomplished. This is about measuring ourselves against our our game plan and our practice plan and what we did last week and all that and being able to say, okay, here's where we are and we know we're there because this is how we practice. And, I think they do have the ability to know where they are and know how they're practicing. And, you know, there's a concentration on that. So I think at this point, you just have to make the best of what you've got. And so they're not going to have people there at practice. So they're just, you know, that's not going to happen. I will say this, probably Pete Carroll was better suited for that than anybody. I mean, I think one of the smartest things, for example, they would go on the road and the way they do the walkthroughs on Friday, not, nobody else even came close to that. You know, that, 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 uh, strength guy, Chris Carlisle would give a military, uh, lesson that was somewhat tied into the place where they were playing. Uh, visiting media would be allowed in. They'd be playing games and they'd be doing, and, the smartest thing Lane Kiffin did was he said when he got he came in to replace Pete he said we're not doing that <laughs> we're not doing the walkthroughs I mean I think they there was a factor that you know uh, uh, compliance didn't want to have to be there to check people in and all of that but the second thing was they just said we're going to do the NFL thing we're going to fly in the night you know the night before basically and uh, and just go to the stadium and you know we we hated that. You know, the way they would show up at Notre Dame the night before, I mean, uh, the, and they'd be there all Friday and they'd have a, uh, kind of a regular walkthrough at Michigan City High School. Then they'd go over to Notre Dame Stadium and there'd be thousands of fans waiting for them. And you'd have Anthony Munoz come up from Cincinnati. All, you know, Joe Montana would be there for the Notre Dame pep rally. And, and those were great. And, and Pete handled that environment so well. I'm not sure anybody else could really quite deal with it the way Pete did. He he was able to keep him on, you know, focused on track and all of that. 
with a lot of stuff going on. Uh, that's hard, hard to do. And uh, I'm just not sure there, there's anybody on the horizon that, that can quite handle that. It's just uh, not in college football, I, I don't think. Let's go to Peter in San Francisco. Stanford has enjoyed unprecedented success against USC in the past 10 years. Since 2007, Stanford's 7-3 and three against USC. Stanford won the past three games, including the 2015 Pac-12 championship. What accounts for Stanford's success? Is it better coaching by Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw, or did the sanctions deplete USC's roster, making it harder for USC to compete with physical Stanford teams? Can we expect better play against Stanford in the future? Fight on. Peter in San Francisco, I guess, who has to hear about Stanford stuff living up in the Bay Area. Yeah, Peter, a lot of things. Uh, uh, Seven and three in a situation – Stanford stole one game with the, uh, you know, the clock operator. Obviously, they absolutely cheated USC out of that game up at Stanford. They know it. Everybody knows it. Anybody was involved, they hit, they've hidden that guy uh, ever since. Uh, but USC, you know, basically had that game stolen. I think the the triple overtime game was it was a triple overtime where they ended up uh, with the penalty on you know McDonald and some of the stuff that happened at the end of that game. Uh, gives you pause to think, did they really win that game or not? So I don't know that it's been quite as one-sided as, you know, obviously USC was not ready to play in the championship game. That was an embarrassment. USC needed to be smarter and more physical and all the other things that, that they weren't uh, against Stanford. Last year I thought was a lay-down game. USC looked like they went in there and, you know, were just going through the motions. The two touchdowns, they gave up the two 56-yard touchdowns where it looked like USC had, you know, 10 guys on the field. Uh, it is, you know, a lot of it is USC's fault. USC's done a lot of shooting itself in the foot, and Stanford hasn't. Stanford hasn't shot itself in the foot and hasn't had the officials shoot shoot them in the foot either. I mean, so they've had, you know, they have a lot going for them. They, they probably, I was watching, watching Stanford against Rice, and, they do a lot of tackling with their offense, with their blocking. I mean, they do, you know, a lot of stuff that, you know, they, they, you know, as close to beating the count as you can possibly be and as close to, you know, just taking people down. Uh, and they do it so well and so consistently. It's like watching Duke play basketball where they, they shoot more or they make more free throws than the other teams, uh, even get to attempt. And yet they initiate most of the contact. Uh, Stanford's just really good at, at what they do, and USC hasn't been together enough. I mean, for example, uh, one of those other games, you talk about 7-3, and three, USC absolutely never should have lost the, the, the Lane Kiffin game when they go in there number one, and they're up 14-7 to seven at half, even with, uh, you know, playing Cyrus Hobby at center, who didn't want to play at center, and they, you know, could have started, you know, John Martinez, but they didn't, and then it ended up costing them. Uh, that's another game. So they're basically in that, in that last decade, there are three games USC really should have won. And, you know, saying they should have won is even worse than, you know, that they didn't win because, you know, obviously it was on USC, uh, that, that, you know, that they didn't, they didn't win those games. But, um, uh, I mean, USC just has to have its act together. They don't have to be Stanford. They just have to be USC. And, a number of those times they haven't been USC and they played, you know, played dumb, played scared, uh, didn't play to win. Uh, you gotta, you gotta do all that. They do all that. You know, they, they'll beat Stanford, but you know, till they start doing it. And this is the perfect, you know, opportunity, uh, for USC to say, Hey, you know, we're USC. This is how we, we play. And this is good enough to beat you, which it would be. They just, they got to do it. They certainly do. That's the biggest game. And now that Stanford looks like really, really good, it's even bigger. Um, let's see. We got a question from oh, Mark and Crown City. He said, thanks for your tireless work this offseason, ghost notes and incident analysis, particularly uh, bring the practice environments to life. Question, how uh, you and Keeley always end up on either side of Coach Helton? Uh, Dan on Coach Helton's left and Keeley on his right for these post-practice pressers. Your positioning clearly earns more questions responded to by Clay. 
than the other participants and establish uh, respect for the local USC football media community? Are you both just that much tougher and game ready than the rest? <laughs> Fight on, Mark from Crown City. Mark, you'd be amazed. It just happens. There is no, there's no planning. There's no, there's just nothing, you know, it's just, that's just kind of the, the luck of the draw as we, because very often we're somewhere else on the field and, you know, you'll get a warning like, okay, you know, we're ready for clay and you're, you know, I'm one place and Keely's another place usually doing her interview and I'm trying to, see who's who's available at the end of the uh, player and assistant coaches interview and so we're often coming from uh, uh different ends of the practice field uh when you know when they say okay clay's ready to go so that may account for the fact that keely ends up on one side and i might end up on the other but uh there's no game plan we just we just end up there uh to be honest yeah it just kind of just kind of happens i don't know that's good um but yeah, you always see Keely. Keely's always positioned there. So I don't know if she just heads that way. That is where she kind of ends up. Um, let's see. We have Mark, a different Mark. He's not in Crown City. He might be. He didn't say where he's from. Uh, did, did they try out the new scoreboards at the scrimmage? And if so, what was your opinion? So in the Coliseum. They're really good. I'm really impressed. I actually went over there and did a walkthrough one day on my own to take a look at them and they were getting them ready for some Rams event. So they had them on that day as well. Uh, actually hit them probably, they were testing them out that day. They're really, uh, I mean, any one of them by themselves, either one of them by themselves are pretty spectacular, uh, to put those two in the same, uh, you know, venue with the one that, it may be now the third largest. I think uh, for a while the the one at the at the curved end of the of the Coliseum was was number two. I think maybe Arkansas had a had a bigger uh, video board. And I think now someone else, and I don't know if it's Texas, has a bigger video board. But it's still like in the top three. But then to put the other two in there, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I I joke, unfortunately. It might be true that the reason they have those two video boards there are the thousands of people who are going to be in a, a, a relatively obstructed view seats once they build the new uh, tower structure will be able to watch the game on the video boards uh, when they throw the ball into the end zone. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but I think I might be right. But they're great. They are you know, they, they're going to block, and I, I didn't think this was the case, but they're going to block about 600 seats on, on either end. Uh, not, not very good seats, but, uh, I, you know, if it were me, I probably would have put them above the farther, they're, they're halfway above the rim of the Coliseum. I'd have probably put them up farther and not block almost any seats, but, uh, that's just me. All right. We've got a couple more. We'll let you go. Uh, Clayton said, not too long ago, I heard you and Dan talking about the new uniforms on one of the podcasts. Whatever happened to the contract USC signed with Jerry Jones's company? Wasn't that supposed to have started around now? Love the podcast and the other info you guys disseminate about the team goings on. I think the Jerry Jones contract is for uh, non-team uh, uh, stuff. I think it's for, uh, you know, the stuff that you sell in the bookstore, the stuff that is sold, you know, to the general public. I believe that's my understanding that was that his company does that kind of, uh, you know, uh, national distribution, uh, not necessarily, um, uh, the team stuff. I mean, the team stuff is still Nike, you know, and that's all, that's all Nike and going to be Nike, but his, his contract, his company's contract kicks in for, uh, you know, all the stuff that you would, you know, buy at the bookstore and out in the, you know, department stores or sporting goods stores or wherever. I think that's uh, that's where he has the rights to, to sell the USC, you know, logo stuff. As does Nike, obviously. Nike keeps that. But uh, but I think, you know, they get a wider distribution. And I don't, I can't think of the name of his company. But uh, but they do have, uh, you know, some of the, the bigger schools, uh, I believe. Although I think USC might have been 
one of the very first to sign, you know, with uh, Jerry Jones' company. And we got one last one for you, Dan. And uh, so if you don't know, people don't know, uh, this game, and we get a lot of tweets and emails and message board posts, how can I watch the game? This game is on the Pac-12 network. If you don't get the Pac-12 network, then you cannot watch this game. Uh, and we talked about it yesterday on the show with Harvey Hyde. Stephen Poway, our buddy again, wrote in. He said, um, I know many USC fans like me are very upset that the Pac-12 is not making a deal with DirecTV. We should all send letters to Larry Scott asking him to make that happen once and for all. However, in the meantime, the good news is you can subscribe to, and this is not an advertiser, but it's I actually have this, Sling TV and watch it there. I just signed up this morning. and You can get the basic package plus the sports extra package, which includes the Pac-12 network for five bucks a month, an extra five bucks a month. All told, it will cost you less than $30 a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you do it now and sign up for two months, you get a free Roku, uh, which is the device that connects your TV, so you can watch all the content on your TV. Stephen Poway. And I actually do have that in my office, because I just use the internet. I don't have like a, a cable provider in my office, but I have a Sling TV box, and I uh, get ESPN and the Pac-12 network and all that stuff. I think it's like 25 bucks a month. Right. I remember... Guys started, you know, getting Sling TV years ago, and they would, you know, you'd see guys in the in the press box and on their, you know, have it on their phone, and uh, and they swore by it. So, uh, you know, uh, it certainly sounds like you know Sling is you know has hung in there, and they seem to be the answer for you know Pac-12 people for sure. Yeah, if you don't, if you have Directv and. Uh... It's a definitely a way to get it. I used to not get it at home um, when I was Verizon, but then Frontier bought Verizon, and then they got a deal with DirecTV. So I mean, with uh, with Pac-12 Network. So I actually get it uh, at home now, and then I can you know watch in my office and stuff too. So um, it's kind of nice, yeah. But to all the people, like, yes, it's on the Pac-12 Network. So you know, you don't have to tweet at me and ask me like, hey, how can I watch the game? It's on the Pac-12 Network. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, if you get the Pac-12 network, then you can watch it. If not, you got to go to a bar or something. And you got to be choosy about about your bars, as we're hearing from like uh, some of our guys, and and have had trouble even in uh, Las Vegas. You know, where you got to find the the right place because a lot of you know a lot of the sports bars uh, have Direct TV, and that doesn't do you much good. They, you know, they get it for the NFL, and so. You gotta, you gotta check before you go to see if they're gonna get the Pac-12, cause basically on Saturday, it's all on the Pac-12, you know, as far as, uh, as far as this conference is concerned. Yeah. If you wanna watch a lot of the games this weekend, you pretty much need the Pac-12 network. All right. Well, Dan, good stuff. Yeah, just over an hour. Not too bad. We had, there was a lot of questions, so we got through a lot of them. So thank you for doing that. Good. That was good. Good question. All right. And, uh, yeah, we apologized last week. Um, we didn't have Dan on because it kind of got a little crazy. We had our event down at USC, but you got to see Dan on our live stream. So if you checked out all that stuff on uscfootball.com, wasn't a podcast per se, but we had Dan, you know, it was fun talking to, you know, we actually had, you know, Clay Helton and, uh, Keith Rivers and Colin Holmes. Uh, and then, you know, just talking with our whole crew too. It was, it was a lot of fun down there. Yeah, it was great. That was. That, that was a great substitute, you know, for the podcast. It was great, you know, again, Clay to, you know, finish a meeting and walk across campus and come over to the University Village. It seemed like he had a good time. The fans, you know, waited for him and, uh, and we were right in the middle of the, of the world there at the, uh, the elevators, uh, and the crossroads and Trader Joe's behind us. And it was, uh, a lot of hap- a lot of stuff happening over there. It's, it's neat to be at a place where there, are, there's so much life. On the, on the streets and the sidewalks and the, you know, the pedestrians and, and, uh, it was kind of a neat place where the, the neighborhood and the USC, you know, uh, family all kind of, you know, meet, meet up, uh, at Trader Joe's. Uh, we were telling the, uh, John Basson, president of Trader Joe's that by being the first ones on the scene at University Village, uh, they got the right, uh, they got the right place. And, and I think that's the advantage of, of going first. And, and of course they're, you know, big, big USC family. And, uh, that was, uh, that was, uh, that was a really good day. That was, uh, that was a great event. Yeah, it definitely was. And, uh, checking out the USC village was really cool. And Trader Joe's was very cool to us. So we appreciate all that. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We'll see you out of practice in a little bit. 
Everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. I think we're going to try to do a maybe a recruiting one this week, too, because we need to do that, but also a Western Michigan preview show. So I'm working on getting a media member uh, from Kalamazoo or somewhere in that area that co- that covers Western Michigan. So we'll try to do that as well. So hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 